Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1351 of the Lots of Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Thursday into Friday. And I am joined on today's episode by my friend and colleague, longtime Hawks observer, Ben Ladner of the Step Back and the Read and React podcast. Ben has been on this show many times. We talked about the Hawks, talked about the East, and much more on the podcast. Also, of note, the Hawks play again on Saturday at home against Toronto. No full-fledged preview of that game because the uh, injury reports are still TBD as I record this, as well as point spreads and all of that. But a nice little test for the Hawks on Saturday. And if you missed it, I broke down what was an ugly loss on Wednesday in deep fashion on the same podcast feed. We definitely encourage you to make this your first listen each and every day. Check out the Locked on Hawks podcast across podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, etc. And without further delay, you'll have the intro. I'll be back with myself and Ben Ladder on the Hawks and the Eastern Conference. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. I'm joined once again by my friend, Ben Ladner. Hello, Ben. Welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me. How's it going? I'm well. I just saw you the other day, which was nice. Yeah. I had not seen you in a long time in That's person, fun. which was good. We watched the Hawks game, or we supported the Hawks game together. And uh, yeah, you know, this is an interesting time for you to come on. I asked you a few days ago, not knowing the Hawks were going to get run out of the gym by the Celtics on Wednesday night. So the uh, the feel around the fan base was pretty dire, as you might imagine, on Wednesday evening. Um, you know, it's still November, so I think the panic is probably a little bit over the top. But, uh, you know, still an interesting time to talk about the Hawks. Um, I wonder what you make of them so far. It's a very broad prompt, but they're, you know, they're nine and six. At the same time, they have kind of a neutral-ish point in differential. Offense is down, defense is up, et cetera. Um, what's, what's sort of on your mind when it comes to the Hawks? We'll go from there. Yeah, they've been one of the tougher teams for me to get a read on, honestly, because, you know, they're third in the East right now. They have a better record than Cleveland, who has, to me, been one of the more impressive teams in the NBA, at least in the games that I've seen of them. Um, but, you know, I think that's partly explained by the fact that we're still in the part of the season where, you know, records can maybe overstate or some in some cases understate how good teams actually are. And when you look at Atlanta's point differential, they're 18th in net rating, 20th in offense, 9th in defense. That's solid better than you would expect um and so it's it the fact that they're so bad on offense and they're so good on defense and they have a good record even though you know nine and six is nothing like crazy to write home about i think they're one of those teams where it's it's hard to tell like should you be encouraged that they're nine and six despite the fact that their offense has really not looked very good and and not produced very well this season or are you discouraged by the fact that the offense hasn't really gotten off the ground Maybe they're getting a little lucky based on their point differential. They're outperforming that pretty significantly. Is that a sign of luck that eventually they're going to regress back to that like 18th best team in the NBA type of level? Or are they, you know, are they just kind of lagging behind? And the fact that they're banking wins now is going to help them when they actually hit their stride and become like one of the, I don't know, eight to 12 best teams in the NBA. So that's kind of the hard question to answer right now. I don't really know what I would answer if I had to predict right now, but um, we're early enough in the season that it's it's hard to really make heads or tails of that right now. Yeah, and it's uh, just as an example of how early we are. I looked up the Hawks' strength of schedule by winning percentage two days ago, 
and I believe they were 16th or 17th. They're right in the middle of the league. After playing Boston last night, who's number one in the league in record, the Hawks jumped from 16 to number five in schedule strength in one night, which probably is not like – that's kind of just one of those hilarious things to remind you that we're only you know 18% yeah. or something into the season. It's still very, very early, and every, every result swings things. Even the defense was affected uh, quite a bit by a bad night last night against Boston, where they were in the top seven right before that. Now they're down in that nine to 12 range, depending on where you look. So it, it, it's interesting, like to your point, it's kind of which version is the right one. And, you know, I am guilty of this too, but there's been more focus on the offense, I think, just because there was this expectation that the baseline of this team was going to be an elite offense. And that's, I think, with reasonable, like, you know, baseline. It's like last year they were number two in the league. That was obviously pretty impressive. I did kind of caution people in the offseason that they were probably going to be worse than that this year, if only by just some regression. Even if they had changed nothing, I would have told you the same thing. They probably were not going to be number two in the league in offense. But, you know, as they brought in Murray, there was, you know, the buzz about that. But they do have less shooting. And that's probably the number one topic in my mentions and probably caused by me bringing it up a lot at the same time. But I think Hawks fans have now noticed it. Um, You know, the lack of three-point shooting, the lack of three-point volume. Uh, As someone who is not covering this team every single day, I wonder what your observation is on that. Because uh, as of today, on Thursday, the Hawks are, I believe, in the bottom three in volume and accuracy from three-point range, which is not a place that anybody wants to be in, but especially a team that's been offense-focused the last couple of years. Yeah, their offensive indicators are not great right now. They lead the NBA in mid-range shots which is a percentage of shots taken from mid-range, which in and of itself is not a terrible thing if you have good mid-range shooters. I don't know that the Hawks do have great mid-range shooters, um, and and a lot of their shots are coming from long mid-range. They're second in the league, according to Cleaning the Glass, in percentage of shots taken from long mid-range. And as you said, last in three-point rate, bottom two or three or whatever in in their 29th, now that I look at it, in three-point percentage, and... Maybe that's a thing where you say, okay, well, they can't shoot 32% from three for the rest of the season, and they probably won't. But as you go through this team, it's not like they have a ton of great three-point shooters, you know, just like assass or lasers, as LeBron James might call them, (laughs) standing on the perimeter, you know, that just aren't hitting shots. It's like DeAndre Hunter shooting 37%. He's been an up-and-down shooter throughout his career. Trey Young has been bad. He'll shoot better. That's fine. But DeJounte Murray has never been a great three-point shooter. John Collins has been efficient but on relatively low volume throughout his career and you know justin holiday i guess is has been somewhat reliable throughout his career but again it's not there's not that guy that you're like oh my god this is an elite shooter that is going to completely open up the floor and change this team's three-point percentage so they're probably a below average three-point shooting team when things all even out and the fact that they're not creating a lot of three-pointers is is even more concerning honestly because what you know what the way to increase your accuracy a lot of the time is to increase your volume because in, a, in an offense like Atlanta's, a lot of the time what that means is you're getting like open kickout threes out of Trey Young pick and rolls or whatever. You're moving the ball and you're getting an open three and taking it that way. And I, so I think for the Hawks, like three-point volume could correlate with three-point accuracy and, and maybe that's a reason they're both really bad right now. Maybe they'll improve together. I don't know, but um, it's, it's not ideal that they're not taking very many threes and they're not making the ones that they are taking because they're also not getting to the rim very often. They're in the bottom 10 and rim frequency as well. So they're really not getting to those high value areas of the court. And Trey young is an improved mid range jump shooter. DeJounte Murray is a much improved mid range jump shooter from where he was early in his career, but neither of those guys are Kevin Durant or even DeMar DeRozan, you know, or Devin Booker, like a, a, 
an above average efficiency on like high volume mid-range jump shooters. So that's concerning. And I think that explains part of those guys early struggles, but like just from a math standpoint, you go through it. It's not great that the only two guys on your team with usage rates over 20% are in like the 30th percentile on cleaning the glass in true shooting percentage. Like that's just not a formula that's going to add up to an efficient offense. And so eventually Russell Westbrook's going to get, or not Russell Westbrook. I think thinking of high volume, low efficiency scores, your brain, I understand triggered that Freudian slip. Yeah. Um, so Trey young will get better. He'll start making shots. I think that's, that's obvious DeJounte Murray, I think can be more efficient. John Collins hasn't been his usual, like 65% true shooting self, but again, it's, it's like if Trey young evens out, that'll help. But does that get you to the top five offense that you were last year? I don't know if that alone does it. And this is kind of what we said about the Hawks coming into the season, that there could be some of these growing pains and they were likely to take a step back offensively. I think so far, They've taken a bigger step back than I expected, but I also don't think that that's going to last throughout the entire season. So my concern level is mild in terms of the offense, and you know we'll see where it goes. If, if we get like halfway through the season and Trey Young still can't make a shot and they're still not creating any shots at the rim, they still aren't getting any threes, that's going to be a little bit more concerning, and that's when you start to wonder maybe is there something going on here that um, is more insidious than just not making shots. Yeah, I want to get into a couple more things about the offense, including uh, the aforementioned John Collins and some more on the shot profile. But before we get to that stuff, a word from our sponsors on the podcast today. Today's show is brought to you by Masterclass. With Masterclass, you can learn from the world's best minds anytime, anywhere, and at your own pace. You can learn about songwriting from John Legend, about business strategy from Bob Iger, or even about cooking from Gordon Ramsay. With over 180 classes from a range of world-class instructors, that thing you've always wanted to do is actually looking closer than you might think. On the basketball side, Steph Curry teaches shooting and ball handling, while Gina Oriema brings insight on leading and teaching a team. I also recently dove into the poker classes with Daniel Negreanu and Phil Ivey and was blown away by the quality and depth of those offerings masterclass is accessible on your phone web or smart tv offering classes on a huge variety of subjects all taught by the people that are at the top of their fields members can go at their own pace and each class is downloadable materials class class guides recipes and much more masterclass can be accessed anytime anywhere on ios android desktop apple tv Amazon Fire TV or Roku or by visiting masterclass.com. I highly recommend you check out Masterclass today and this holiday give one annual membership and get one free. Go to masterclass.com slash locked on. That's masterclass.com slash locked on terms apply. All right, Ben, quickly on the shot profile that we were just talking about before the break. Um, the one thing that I've kind of been stressing is like, I'm not a uh, an old school Daryl Morey zealot, like you can't take mid range shots. I don't, I don't think either. I don't, I don't think you are either. So it's not like mid range is inherently bad necessarily. There are people. I think that- that's the first time anyone's ever called Daryl Morey old school. Well, you know, <laughs> when, when he first arrived on the scene, it was well known for his yeah. uh, his aversion to mid range. It's kind of it's kind of cooled in recent in recent yes, years for him. For sure. Anyway, but it's uh you know so it's not that I I, I want to stress that I, I'm probably not always good at explaining like it's not that i'm anti-mid-range shot it's it's and in fact this team was kind of built to take more mid-rangers both with the head coach with murray loves to shoot mid-range shots trey likes to shoot mid-range shots in the last two years before this year before this year trey was awesome at mid-range shots deandre hunter loves a good mid-range pull-up um there, there are lots of guys on this team that like to take mid-rangers the problem is that you can't do that and also not take threes and also not make threes and also not get to the line which is where they are now. I think they're, they're bottom five at free throw, free throw rate too. That's something that you yeah. cannot have. You can't have that because the last couple of years, the Hawks have been in the top seven or eight in free throw attempt rate. 
and now they're in the bottom five. And maybe that's just a little bit of variance. You know, Murray's not a free throw guy, and he's your number two usage guy, and he's not a free throw creator at all. Trey is, but Murray is not. And I think that that's notable too. Like, name the guy on this roster that's good at getting in the line other than Trey Young. It doesn't really exist. Like, even in previous years, Gallo was always great at getting in the line. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say Clint Capella when other teams intentionally foul him. Right. I mean, I I think that, uh, I think Capella is uh, something like third or fourth on the team in free throw attempts per 100 possessions. Um, Yeah. He's only behind Trey and Hunter among guys who actually play minutes. And that's not the guy you want at the line necessarily if you are the Hawks. Um, So, I mean, I say all that just to say, like, the improvement will happen inherently when they start making more threes, but the volume is the concern for me for three point range. And they're going to take more mid rangers than most teams do. I kind of built that in, but they do have to kind of clean it up a little bit. And it happened last year too. Like they, they started out early in the season. They started out taking a lot of mid rangers. They still did, but it kind of cooled and became a little bit better as the season went along. Having bogey will help playing AJ Griffin more will help, but those guys don't fix everything. We saw that even last night. Like AJ Griffin has been uh, in some ways, the panacea from Hawks fans, like just play AJ Griffin. It'll, it'll, it'll all be fixed. It didn't fix it last night. That's a one game sample size, but like, and he does help. He's their best shooter other than maybe Trey that's available to them right now, but he doesn't make it all better by himself. Yeah. I mean, pretty much the only thing they're doing well offensively right now is taking care of the ball. They're first. And in, they always do. And they're, they always do. And, and that's like a, a Trey young kind of hallmark, you know, where he, his teams, he turns the ball over a lot individually, but the team generally does not, and that's what allows them to create usually you know, high-efficiency shots on almost every possession. So they're first in turnover rate. They have the lowest turnover rate in the league offensively, and that's about it. Everything else, that, you know, they're, like you said, they're shooting poorly. You know, they're last at cleaning the glass, has this you know, the location effective field goal percentage for people who aren't familiar. That's essentially like what is the expected effective field goal percentage based on where you're taking your shots from they're last in that metric too and that doesn't account for like how good are your mid-range shooters if you take a lot of mid-range jumpers but still it kind of goes to the shot profile thing we were talking about where they just aren't getting to the high value areas of the floor the rim the free throw line and the three-point line and so you know they aren't they aren't getting a lot of zeros in terms of point points per possession because they're taking care of the ball but like the average that you know the, the median expected outcome of a possession is just not very high for this team right now, which is kind of weird given the fact that they have a guy who, you know, has, has kind of established himself as a fail safe offensive player who can, you know, he's one of the best guys in the league at creating those, those high value shots from three and at the rim, getting to the free throw line. It's like all of Trey Young's strengths that he's demonstrated in the last three seasons, the team has not really been strong in those areas this year which is a little perplexing and, and a little bit of why I still kind of believe in this offense, because I think yeah. eventually that'll come around. But I think it also is just a byproduct of trying to integrate DeJounte Murray, trying you know to involve other guys in the offense, Trey even kind of diversifying his own game and trying to be more adaptable. So it's possible that this, you know, the, the, the growing pains they're going through right now could help them in the long term because they get to something like the Miami series last year. And now they actually have counters when Miami can take away the head of the snake and force them to do other things, they can do those other things, but right now they're not doing anything. And so, you know, the whole thing just has kind of fallen apart in a way. Yeah. And, you know, I I like to be as nuanced as possible on most things, but also some of this has to do with Trey, just not putting the ball in the basket. Like that's a, when you have a guy who has a 35% usage rate at career high right now, and he is shooting his career worst marks from basically everywhere. 
there's there are reasons why beyond him just missing shots. I think he does have less space, and that makes it more difficult for him to operate. But like he's got to make shots, and then I'm not saying he's not going to. We both have said it at different times in this conversation already. Like he's going to make more shots. I'm not worried about Trey Young, but if you're looking for like actual tangible reasons why this offense has been notably worse so far him him being bad as a shot maker is high on the list um it's it's a small sample size but like he has a career worst mark in true shooting a career worst mark from two he's shooting uh i believe yeah i'm looking at it now 41 percent on twos this year on higher volume than ever from two that's a bad combination 37 percent from the, from the field 31 percent from three like other than free throw shooting and his of course his elite passing it's not been good for Trey. So he's not absolved of blame here. He is a proven yeah. offensive engine to the point where like, I think he's a top five offensive player in the league, something like that. He's that good. But this year, he's not been that good. And that's part of it, too. It reminds me of something I heard Charles Barkley say on Inside the NBA the other wow. night. Here we go. That, that's, that's, is, a, that's, a, that's a heck of a preface for, uh, for, for a statement. I'll say that right now, Ben. Well, it's, it's about what you would expect. It was, you've <laughs> got to be able to score to win in the NBA. I mean, that's, and, uh, that's nuanced from Chuck. You know, true words have, have never been spoken. I think he's right. dead on with that one. Yeah, no, he's right. Um, anyway, so I'm not going to do the whole Trey Young thing, but that's he has to be better, full stop. Uh, one more thing on the offense before I want to get your thoughts on the defense too is, uh, as you might expect, having covered this team and being familiar with the fan base, um, there's been a lot of attention paid to John Collins and his very low usage and his numbers being down and – you know, the biggest thing is that he's not able to make a three right now. He is uh, 10 of 41 from three this season after being good the previous three years from three. But it's kind of also back to the the, the, the role thing. I mean, even when you were covering the team full, full time, like the John Collins offensive role conversation has been happening for three or four years now. And it's, uh, I think, reaching an apex now because even with Murray on the team, he has even lower usage. They have even less options to deploy him. I wonder what you have seen from that and how worried you are, because I've been definitely trying to make sure people understand how good he's been defensively, which is actually really nice to see from him. But offensively, he is basically career worst across the board from a guy who has been a like a fringe all-star level offensive player in the past. He has not been that guy so far. Yeah, he's one of the most interesting guys in the league to me and kind of always has been since I covered him. I just it's so hard to to fit him in to like this this team in particular, but like a I don't know. In some ways, it's very easy to fit him in because he can do so many things. But like on a team that doesn't have other guys who can do a lot of things, it can be very hard to fit him in. And this is kind of one of those teams. So the fact that he's improving on defense, I think, opens up more pathways to playing him at center. And then you can kind of maximize him a little bit more offensively. Um, but yeah, it's just like the low usage that was to be expected. But 14 percent, that is really low. His assist percentage is also way down. He's not like a you know, high level playmaker or anything, but he's got the lowest assist rate of his career by far right now. And part of that is that no one on the team is making a shot. <laughs> right. So like Trey Young's assist Trey's is down to, yeah, because exactly. no one's making a shot. So you don't get assists when your teammates don't make shots, but like Collins is turning the ball over a lot more. Um, he, you know, he it's just like the playmaking has not really been there, even to the level of what he showed in previous seasons, which again, he was never really a super duper high level playmaker. So it just like I wonder just how the personalities are are kind of playing into this and just how it feels for Collins to be in like year five or whatever of like, OK, I'm going to stand around and be kind of a spot up shooter. And then sometimes I'll be able to roll to the rim and get a dunk. But I'm really kind of a bit player. And now I'm even more of a bit player because we have a second primary ball handler coming in. Um, and it's just it, it's it's really nice when you have those types of guys who can fit in and, and like 
get open and finish plays at a really high level. But Collins is also not a guy that you can really draw up a, a, a shot for, you know, like even if you run a pick and roll for him, if the defense takes away the role, then John Collins isn't getting the shot. Um, and, and like, he's not really going to create out of the post a lot. He's obviously not putting the ball on the floor and pick and roll, not initiating from the perimeter. So there are really only so many ways that you can get John Collins directly. Like you can intentionally involve him and the rest of his offense really kind of comes incidentally where like, okay, someone else created the advantage. The defense reacted a certain way. And now Collins is in position to finish the play, but it's, you can't just like give him more usage in the way that you can a DeJounte Murray or a Trey young, where you can just give them the ball. And so now that you have two of those guys, it's like the, that usage has got to come from somewhere. And, you know, I, I do think like Collins should be shooting more. They should probably should be more involved in the offense, but it's not like you can just choose to involve John Collins in the offense, you know, the, like snapping your fingers and do it. It depends right. on what the rest of the offensive players are doing. And maybe just as much how the defense is playing and, and what decisions they force the offense into. Today's show is brought to you by Bet Online, and basketball is, of course, in full swing now in mid to late November. And Bet Online is the number one source for information that you're looking for in the sports betting space. That includes the stats, news, and analysis that you need this season. You can find the latest odds and trends for every pro and college league you're looking for at Bet Online. That includes the latest in football and basketball and soccer. Esports, golf, tennis, auto racing, and horse racing, among others. That online is also very useful engaging layers on the Hawks. That includes nightly game odds and totals to sort of how the futures market looks at this point for the Hawks in the East or the NBA title or even individual awards. That online is the fastest and easiest way to get your sports betting fix. And if you love sports podcasts, you can also find those at Bet Online as well. Check out Bet Online on your mobile device or your computer to learn more about all the trends and the action in the sports world. Bet Online, where the game starts. Yeah, and it's it's really nuanced because there are so many different factors. Part of it is that, you know, Murray is taking up usage. Part of that is that he's also playing at career low right now minutes at center. He usually plays a little bit more at center than he's played so far, and that can help juice his numbers a little bit offensively. He's taking actually a higher percentage of his shots from three than he has in previous years. And we talked about this before. I know I have mentioned it several times, but Collins has been asked or encouraged or basically forced to play this more spot-up role on this roster. And what you said at the very beginning of, of what your, of your response was perfect. And then that tr John Collins can fit anywhere, but he also can fit anywhere and not necessarily stand out in the role that he's in. If he's not in the right role, because he's gotten so much better as a, as a defender, he's with, with this year aside, become a very nice three point shooter, at least on, you know, smallish volume. He, you know, he will do what you ask him to do, but at the same time, you can't throw him the ball and say, get out of the way and, and run John, John Collins ISOs. Like even a guy like DeAndre Hunter has much more of an ISO game than John Collins does. And he's not, he's been more, he's been sort of a controversial figure, figure on offense too. But Collins is a guy who really is a traditional four and a half on offense and on offense in particular. Like he does a lot of his stuff on offense is more, more of what you would see from a center. And if he's not going to make threes, they're in trouble. Now the, the question is like, he's got this finger issue, this finger issue the last, you know, eight, 10 months. He says it's not bothering him anymore. We'll see. Um, if you assumed John Collins was now a mid 23 point shooter, I would be sounding the alarm because if he's not going to make threes, they're in trouble um, because yeah. he's going to have to play. He's, he's so valuable other places, but they need another guy who can make a shot because they're already down some shooting and Collins being this would not be tenable. I assume it'll come back up to maybe, I mean, at least the low thirties and not the mid thirties or higher, but 
the stuff you said, the stuff you said about assist rate, it's all true. His usage is way down. He's still actually shooting very well from two point range. He's still a great finisher. It's just that when you're playing basically 98% of your minutes so far with a true, with, with a true non-shooting center next to you, you're playing with Murray. Now you're playing more with the holidays who are not dynamic shooters. Like he has less space too. We, we focus on Trey. Yeah. Collins has less space too. And that's part of the problem as well. Yeah. I was talking about this idea actually the other night with someone and, and the point of comparison was Larry Nance jr. And Yusuf Nurkic. And like the idea, like the phrasing I eventually kind of came to was like, one of those guys is a guy that you, can run stuff through but you kind of have to run stuff through and the other is someone that you don't have to run stuff through he just fits but you also can't really run stuff through him and collins is the latter collins is a guy that you don't have to run any you don't have to run plays for him he can just find his role within whatever context he's given but the flip side of that is that you also can't really run stuff through him like i was saying earlier and you know as, as i've said before on this podcast and my own and every kind of space that i can Collins is almost like a victim of his own versatility. He just yep. can do so many things that it's it's very easy to be like, well, you know, we know that John can just fit wherever. So let's prioritize how Capella fits in here. Let's prioritize how Trey fits because those guys aren't as as versatile with their their particularly on offense with their skill sets. So they need to be catered to a little bit more specifically. Whereas Collins doesn't need to be catered to, so he isn't. Yep. No, that's 100% right, especially with regard to the centers. That's well-trod territory on this podcast, but like having him play with a non-shooting center, the only option you have is to have Collins be the spacer. You can't put Capella in the corner. That doesn't do yeah. that doesn't do you any good. So they could run more pick and roll for him still. I think it would be still wise, even after saying all that, for them to run more pick and roll with Collins, especially with um, you know either Murray or Trey as the initiator, because he is good enough at that to even with – Capella or a Kongu with a ducker spot, you could still have that be effective. That's that's an option for you that they don't that they don't utilize enough. But you have to be strategic in that. And to your point a second ago, like they almost have that on the back burner. And unless he causes a ruckus about it, like they're not they may not change it. And I, I mean, I feel like once a year we get the Collins talks to the media and says I'd like to get the ball more kind of stuff. And I don't really blame him. He doesn't get the yeah. ball enough. It's just one of those <laughs> things. Like it's it's tough. Well, this is also where I think. This is one of the dangers and one of the downsides of running a kind of not rote, but kind of just a, a basic pick and roll offense. And and like the Hawks aren't necessarily wrong to do that because they've been one of the best offensive teams in the league. But like not only does that put the ball in one or two guys' hands more often, and, and it just mathematically it takes away opportunities for players like Collins, but it also kind of the reason you can't put Clint Capella in the corner is because, or part of the reason at least is not just because he's not a shooter, but because the Hawks don't run an offense where it would ever make sense for someone like for Clint Capella to be on the perimeter and for his man to come out and guard him. Like the, yeah. the warriors, which is like not a fair point of comparison. because <laughs> they, they have like just a totally unique offense, but like Kavon Looney's not a three point shooter. Draymond green is not a three point shooter. And both both those guys play a lot of minutes together, and the reason they can do that is because they're doing dribble handoffs at the top of the key. They're in, in Draymond's case, and even sometimes Looney, they're initiating, they're entering the ball into the post from the wing, they're screening, they're moving around outside the paint, while the guards, the quote unquote, you know, traditional ball handlers, are running around without the ball. And the Hawks don't run that kind of offense. And I think this is another reason why you'd like to see someone like Trey Young move more without the ball is not only. Will it create more shots for him? It'll, you know, allow other guys to initiate or whatever. It'll just allows the ball to move. And then it makes all five guys a threat at any given time, as opposed to like someone like Capella, 
if he doesn't have the ball, he's only, and sometimes even if he does have the ball, he's only <laughs> a threat from certain areas of the floor. And part of that skill set, but part of that is also scheme. Um, and I think this is like every offense that runs this, or every team that runs this type of offense kind of runs into this. The Mavericks, um, the the Sixers, you know, like these these kind of heavy usage initiators. It it kind of takes away the ability to maximize other guys unless they're just being de- like hand delivered a pinpoint pass for a kick out three, which is great. But if that's not the case, then like there is a lot of standing going on, which forces the deep, which allows the defense to also stand and then be ready for the drive. And it's just a little, it's a little more static, a little less, uh, a little more predictable, I guess. Yeah. We're on the same page there. Um, in an effort to not go two hours on this podcast, I'm going to ask my defensive question here uh, in the middle of the show. Uh, and this is very broad, but um, I'll let you go wherever you want with it. Do you trust based on your eyes and the numbers that the Hawks are a pr- at least a pretty decent defensive team now? Because I say that last year they were in the bottom five. They were famously terrible. Two years ago, they were like league average. Now they're in the top 10. Um, I guess it's just broadly speaking, like, do you trust this uptick? The personnel is better, but what do you make of it knowing that we have small sample size theater here? I don't trust that they're the ninth best defense in the league, which on cleaning the glass right now they are. Um, I do think they're better than they were last year, partly because I thought last year they were just worse than they should have been. Agreed. <laughs> <All> so, <laughs> um, they do allow a ton of shots at the rim, and, and that's not great. That's always kind of a warning sign. But they are protecting the rim pretty well, and usually that's not a stat that's going to be as prone to variance as three-point shooting, yeah. for instance, which right now they are allowing the fifth lowest three-point percentage in the league, which is, you know, it's it's not like wild, but... Well, it was it was wrong. actually second lowest before the uh, the barrage. By the so there you go, the more small sample. So yeah, they, and they, that, started, they started to uh, have, that, have some correction. I kind of, I feel, uh, I got lucky in saying this at the time, but I, I did this show on Tuesday about um, sort of preview the Celtics game, et cetera, and I kind of mentioned that the Hawks have been pretty lucky with three-point defense to this point, and then the Celtics made 21 threes the next, the, the next night. So my apologies, yeah. everyone. It's my fault, I guess. And that kind of proves the point, which is that that stat is very prone to variance, and and can just kind of go up and down outside of the defense's actual control. So I think the fact that they have Capella looking better than he did last year, he's protecting the rim at an adequate level. Um, it's still able to kind of contain the pick and roll and be a guy you can build a, a drop pick and roll scheme around and a Kong Wu, you know, improving, I think defensively has really good hands, can protect the rim, get off the floor and, and block some shots. I think they are a, at least like a decent to solid defense top 10 might be a little bit of a reach but if if this if the theory of this team actually pans out i don't think they need to be a top 10 defense i think they can be a 15 to 20 level defense and then you hope that the offense gets to where um we and most people i think expected it to be coming into the season um so short answer to are you buying a defense sort of i guess which is like <laughs> maybe is kind of my answer to like most things but <laughs> well that's that, that's that's the right yeah. answer and uh i will credit my friend glenn willis of Peter who's been on the show many times and he's been saying this to in public and, and to me in private conversations that are not like off the record or anything but we were talking about like you know people are overstating a sort of, sort of overlooking i should say the fact that the hawks are a good team so far this year because of their defense and because they're just showing up to play defense more, obviously it was, it was an outlier bad night on Wednesday with Boston, not only being number one in the league in offense, but just making everything from three. And that happens sometimes As the NBA. You're going to have some bad nights, but I think that it's important to keep in mind 
and I'm talking to myself as well, that the Hawks willingly and admittedly traded some offense for defense in the offseason, personnel-wise. They did that on purpose. They knew what they were doing. They've said it on the record. They knew that. And we've seen the results of that on both sides. Like, their offense has gotten worse, but their defense has gotten better. And I think overall, you would take where they are right now versus where they were a year ago. And, yeah, the offense should get better, and that's the hope. And maybe the defense gets worse. But there was not really a path forward, at least in the way that, Hawks fans, I think, are looking for like a 50-win team plus when you were as bad as they were defensively last year. And they moved aggressively to fix that, not only with Murray as the most high-profile addition, but even the guys they brought in in supporting roles. You can argue with the holidays all day long, but they are, they're competent defensive players. Um, you know, having 48 minutes of high-level center with Capella and Okongwu, and they really – outside of Trey, they don't really have a bad defender, at least on paper – in the rotation. Maybe AJ Griffin as a rookie is kind of on the fringe of that, but you know, he wasn't supposed to play that much right now. If they had bogey, I'm not sure how much he'd be playing. So they've kind of on purpose gone more in an ugly defense kind of direction, which I know is not always fun to watch, but it kind of fits this head coach. It kind of fits what they wanted in some ways. So um, it's just, it's, it's good context because they're not independent too. Like if you're not scoring on offense, you know, it's hard to defend. And if you're not getting stops on defense, it's hard to score. I guess it's that defense. So they definitely are um, in conjunction with each other. They're not always perfectly correlated. We saw last year the Hawks were still awesome on offense despite not getting any stops. But it's easier to defend when you're scoring. It really, it's just, that's just the way it, basketball works. Yeah, absolutely. And I will say there are a few kind of red flags with their defense right now, which is mainly that they foul a lot, which is way more than usual, too. Not like ideal. Strangely. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I think it's maybe it's just maybe it's just over aggression because they're they're creating more turnovers now. But right, their their foul rate is what I'm I'm looking at. They're uh, like 28, I think. And that you know the last two years they were above average and avoiding fouls. Yeah. So that hopefully is an outlier. But you're right. I mean they keep they are putting guys on the line repeatedly. It was better yeah. last night, but Milwaukee in particular. Maybe that's maybe that's a product of playing Milwaukee three times <laughs> already in that 15 be, games. Yeah. But uh, you know it's there's definitely fouling too much. Yeah, and and like you said, maybe that comes back down when they're not going up against these like like Giannis, like a heavy foul drawer. They play the Sixers and twice. Embiid is a, a big foul drawer as well, so that could just be a, a product of that, but something to keep an eye on. And then they're also kind of a mad defensive rebounding team, which again might just be they played Milwaukee three times. They're a great rebounding team, can get on the offensive glass and and like use their size to really punish you. So maybe that improves and it, it goes back you know, into the top half of the league. But right now they're about average as a rebounding team, which like when you're not forcing a ton of turnovers and you're fouling a lot, you'd like for one of those three things to be, you'd like to be at least good at one of those three things. And right now they're below average at all three of them. And they're just, you know, they're preventing teams from making shots, which also counts a lot. But you also wonder, is that just bad three-point shooting? Is that going to regress? How much are they really in control of that? Yeah, it's it's a tale as old as time with this uh, with this Hawks team. But the Hawks have also been a very good defensive rebounding team with Clint Capella plays, and they've been a terrible defensive rebounding team when he doesn't. And that's been the case for three years now, but it's still the case now. So that's uh, well, that so that another observation I wanted to bring up. Well, because I went to the you mentioned watched the game together the other night. It was that Sixers game in Atlanta. Um, and and we were both there in person. And and one of the things that and that was my first like really like close just only watching the Hawks on that night look at the Hawks of the season and one of the things that really stood out to me about Onyeka Okongwu was just like kind of the lack of physicality that he plays with you know he doesn't make great contact on his screens he's not like 
really like barreling up his chest in the post. He was playing in bead, you know, and so it really stood out where like he, he made a few plays with his hands and like he has some size and some strength, but he's not really like initiating physical contact. He's not embracing that in the way you you might want him to. And he just looks a little like tentative from an aggression standpoint sometimes. And I think that that's where it shows up is on the defensive glass. Like when he's in the game, you, you want him to be a little more aggressive going after, like putting his body into guys, boxing out, uh, making a difference on the defensive boards, which right now he, you know, he's young and he's going to get better at that. But that was one thing that stood out. And I think it's reflected in that stat. Yeah, I will say in his small defense, that Embiid matchup is maybe the worst in the, the entire league for him. Like, yeah, he just has, yeah, and, and yeah. everyone struggles with Joel Embiid. True, but, but especially yeah. a guy who's six eight, and Okongwu yeah. is six eight, and that's just a tough one. But in general, it's nothing new. But he he does not defensive rebound in a way that you want your center to defensive rebound, and that's yeah. part of it too. And that's it's only one position. You know, Capella doesn't. Contrary to what I even might say, Capella does not make your entire rebounding group. He's awesome at that. But everybody else has you have to gain rebound too, and basically. You know, it's not just a Kongwu, like Jalen Johnson's numbers are worse than you would think they'd be for a guy who is a legitimate 6'10 power forward. He's not rebounding at a high level this year individually. You're playing with the holidays. You're not great rebounders, et cetera. So anyway. DeAndre Hunter's kind of always been a famously not a good rebounder. Yeah. yeah. Uh, DeAndre, uh, yeah, that's a whole other topic. I purposely didn't do a lot of Hunter on this on this show because I think people are probably tired of it at this point. But uh, he's got he's got to re- he's got to rebound. He's got to pass the ball. He's one of the Shakier passers you will see at the small forward position, at least in a high leverage role. So, Ben, uh, I want to ask about the East, but anything else you want to get? You want to make sure you get off your chest about the Hawks before I get your, your broad thoughts on the top of the East so far. Uh the I think it's interesting that like the the way that Nate McMillan is staggering Trey and Dejounte, and then related to that, he's staggering Capella and Akongwu. Like he's keeping Capella and Trey together a lot of the time, and then. Yep. Um, Dejounte and Akongwu together, and and the, my buddy John that I was at the game with the other night made the point that I, part of the reason for that could be, or and if it's not a motivation for Nate McMillan, it's definitely a byproduct of this happening. Is that the way those two guys, Trey and Dejounte, play in the pick and roll is very different, and Trey wants to kind of probe into the middle and throw the lob, so he wants his big man to get to the rim and be able to get on top of the rim like essentially before he does, he wants the big man to beat him getting downhill so that he can kind of hang back and throw the lob ahead of him. Yep. And that's Capella's strength. Cause he, all he really can do from a finishing standpoint is <laughs> finish lobs at this point. That's correct. Whereas Dejounte Murray wants to, he wants to turn the corner, get downhill, get to the backboard and look to finish with a layup. Or he wants to make that pocket pass kind of almost behind him to a trailing big on the roll. He's not as much of a lob passer and that's more of a Kongwu strength because he has more of a floater game. He can like, he's a little bit more skilled and nimble inside than Capella is. So I thought that was a really interesting observation. Um, and then as I kind of looked for it, it made total sense. Like the, the way those two guards play those big men complement each of them in different ways. So I think it makes sense the way that McMillan is staggering them right now. Yeah. Shouts to John. Number one, good guy who I got to meet the other night. Good um, guy. Knows a lot about basketball. He does. Um, yeah. And yeah, I think that, you know, they've not necessarily come out and say they were going to try to pair those guys together, but I heard even over the offseason, like, it's not a secret that Trey also loves Capella. And part of that is because of the screen setting. And part of that is because of what you just said about his finishing at the rim. And I know Clint's finishing is not a popular topic, but he is a good lob finisher and he will get to the right spot and he'll rebound for you and clear out more space. Kong was not a great screen setter yet. And, and Trey and Capella have great chemistry. And I think that especially with... It's not that Trey can't play with the Kongwu, he can, 
But I think the Murray Capella pairing is the one that I don't love necessarily on paper. Yeah. Number one, part of that is that, you know, while Kong was not a shooter yet, he can play on the perimeter a lot more comfortably than Capella can. And with Murray's lack of gravity, if you're playing Murray and Capella, you better have three shooters with those guys or you're got you're going to have some serious uh, spacing challenges. So that's been on purpose, I think, for the Hawks. And I think it works for the most part on both, on both accounts. Um, last Hawks thing, Ben, I know it's too early for you to say anything about this, but has your overall opinion changed? Like, are, are you going to pick the Hawks any differently for the season based on what you've seen so far, because they're basically in line with what their over under was. So it's like kind of like the ultimate punt. If you want to do that and just say, yeah, business as usual, but uh, has your opinion gotten higher or lower of the Hawks so far? Or are you kind of in the middle there? It's it's so it's kind of what we said at the top. Their record is, is like kind of what I, maybe even a little better than what I expected by winning percentage. Again, nine and six, that's like, you know, a two game swing completely changes that, but yeah. Winning percentage wise, they're, maybe slightly better than I expected standings wise, you know, third, I didn't have them that high, but like watching them and all the indicators we've been talking about, they're probably a little worse than I expected. Um, I don't know what like the aggregate of all that means, but like out of principle, I will say, no, my opinion has not changed because we're 15 games into the season. <laughs> and, and so I, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm at this point legally obligated to say, no, I need, I need more time. I need to see more. I want to wait till we get to, I don't know, January 1st or something, and then I'll kind of figure <laughs> out how I feel. So, so no, I still think they're in that group with like Toronto, Miami, um, who else? In the Brooklyn, um, like those teams we talked about earlier. Cleveland is maybe Nets. the only team in that tier that I would say I definitely think is better than well, that. I was expected. my actually my next question was going to be I think we all kind of agree right now that it's Boston and Milwaukee in some order. So it sounds like Cleveland's your third right now, or do you like Philly more than Cleveland? Right so, now, I like Cleveland more. Cleveland I, like Joel Embiid, the way Joel Embiid started the season, and maybe we can even use this as a transition to talk about the rest of the East. Let's do it. The, the way Embiid has played so far has not been great, and I, I realize he's been dealing with you know. Some... Well, uh, that, that Utah game was like uh, collective amnesia because he was so dominant in that game where he had you know seventy five points, whatever he had. Yeah. But um, yeah. Before that, it was actually like he had not been playing well, and he he kind of found it against the Hawks in that game we were at. Yep. And then the, the next game was that Utah game where he went up absolutely crazy and it kind of covered things up, but he's not been outside of that two game stretch. He's not been fantastic. Yeah. And, and to say nothing of the defense, which I think has been a level below where it could be um, Harden obviously is injured. So Sixers, another team, we just kind of need more time, but and they're 500 right now, by the way, seven, seven. Yeah. They just haven't gelled yet. Whereas the Cavs, like, I don't know that other than maybe Utah, I don't know that there's a team that has gelled as well as the Cavs. I mean, well, and, they've, guys, and they've lost five in a row now, which is funny. Know, which it's, is, like, it's like, like it's so like injury induced and like close close loss induced. Exactly. Like it doesn't feel it doesn't feel like that. But they've lost just before anybody responds to you and says, "Well, Cleveland's yeah. lost five games in a row." Ben, we know, but in in my head, they're still like <laughs> ten and two or whatever they started. Um, the vibes are just too good for me to, to for me to you know put too much stock in those five losses. And like you said, there you know the circumstances around them. Uh, maybe reveal more than the results alone. Um, so yeah, Cleveland, I think I would probably have above Philly. Philly, I was actually thinking about the other day as as maybe being in that middle tier as opposed to that top three that that I, I and a lot of people, I think, including you, thought they'd be in yeah. coming into the season. But Boston and Milwaukee still kind of feel like Milwaukee, especially like what they're doing without Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton right now. And for a couple games without Giannis, I mean, I, I think they could, if they were healthy, which it doesn't seem like they're going to be healthy, but like 
when healthy, I think this is this team's going to play at like a 65 win pace or even like a 70 win pace when they get all their guys healthy. I just think that they're the best team in the East. Maybe Boston is in that conversation, but I just think the healthy version of the Bucks is like is going to be a real a really a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, I still lean them as well, pending Middleton health. Obviously, they're not going to be there without Middleton. But um, yeah, I mean, it's funny because the Hawks have beat them twice out of three out of three games. Now, the third one was uh, no Drew and no Middleton and no Connaughton. And it's like, that's kind of an asterisk one. Yeah, the first sure. one, the Hawks just beat them. And that was impressive. Now, no Middleton in that game, but they had Drew and they beat him pretty soundly. That was, a, that, was a, that was an impressive performance. But even the other, and, the, and their third loss was without Giannis. So they really only have one full strength ish loss this year. It was to the Hawks yeah. in Atlanta. Um, that was the that was their first loss, right? Yeah, and the then Bucks. they lost the next one without Middleton. I'm sorry, without Giannis on like yeah. a back to back where he just sat. But uh, yeah, they they've been great so far. Boston's offense has just been unbelievable. They're making every shot. They won eight in a row. Um, I, I feel very confident in those being the top two in some order. Yeah. I won't argue with with the order of those two teams. Um, you know, the question is like how how does Harden coming back maybe help Philly and it be kind of finding his stride a little bit. I still think that I'm probably lower on Cleveland than you are, but I probably already, I probably always was. So that's not going to be a huge change, but they, they have been pretty good despite their five game losing streak. Like if you look at who, they, who they've lost to, they lost to the bucks on the road. They lost to Minnesota by five. They lost at golden state by five. They lost at the Clippers by two. Like those are all totally fine losses that yeah. just happen. Um, they're good. I don't know how good they are, but Donovan Mitchell looks great. And I've always been a Donovan skeptic on some level. He looks good. He looks good this year. Um, Toronto's an interesting one. The Hawks play them on Saturday and they got killed in Toronto last time, but they're nine and seven. Like they're a very Raptors team so far. Like they're on yeah. pace to win like 46 games and just beat the Raptors. <laughs> um, I don't know how you feel about Toronto in general. I know we talked about them before the season started, but I feel like people are either like all the way in on Toronto or they're kind of just like out on Toronto. And I don't know which one it is for you at the moment. So tell me. I'm closer to the former. I, I think I halfway jokingly texted some people before the season saying they were going to win 65 games, which obviously you and is, you and Zach Lowe are, uh, are way in on Toronto. I know. Yeah. And, and I don't actually, I never thought they would actually win 65 games, but I was very high on what they had. I think they've improved their depth. They're also dealing with injuries right now too. I mean, they just, they're one of those teams that it's almost easy to forget that they are injured because they have so much depth and it's like, well, they have so-and-so and so-and-so and all these guys. And like, look, they still have a full rotation, but then you look at who they're missing and it's like another full rotation. Like Siakam is out right now. Gary Trent and precious Chua didn't play last night against Miami and they still won that game. Um, so they, they just, to me, they're a team that, you know, it, it's all like you said, it's, it's a classic Raptors team. They have tons of wings or, or I don't even know if you can call them wings. They're like yeah, forward they're giant guards, like whatever you want to call them who just play interchangeable basketball on both ends of the floor. They're well coached. They play super hard. They're tenacious. They're versatile. They're tough. You know, I, I just love the way they play. So part of that, part of my belief in Toronto comes from my heart and just loving like the style that they play. But I think also you watch them and, you know, like I said, what they're doing a little as being a little bit shorthanded, the, the way some of the wins they have um, are like their resume is pretty impressive. So, I'm buying them. I don't know that I'm buying them enough to say that they're like a home court advantage team or they have pole position for the three or four seed right now. But I think they're definitely in that group that could, you know, easily win a first round playoff series, potentially even make the conference finals. Um, I think they're like they're in that kind of dark horse group in the East, probably above the Hawks if, if I had to pick right now. So I really love them. I, I love watching them. I think they're really good. 
Um, I've probably said everything I, I need to say about them so far, but this is the um, part of the podcast where, where you get yelled at a lot because yeah, you, exactly. uh, I mean, listen, I just, it's fine. Yeah, it's, they're great. So, that's why it's at the end of the podcast. If people have, are still here, they probably like the show. So that's okay. Um, yeah. but no, I, that's actually, I won't do a full preview on the Raptors game because it's a Saturday night game and we won't have an injury report for a while, but, uh, that's a, a nice test for the Hawks at home. Now Siakam's missed like half a season for Toronto too. And they're still nine and seven. He's been awesome when he's played, but they just, the, the style just, makes life difficult on everybody like nobody likes to play against Toronto even if you're better matchup against them than some teams are like they just make your life difficult with how they are kind of ungame playable like you kind of just can't plan against them because they just are so weird so anyway um oh the other thing I wanted, I wanted to integrate here I sponsor actually now uh at this very moment then the Hawks are favored to win the Southeast division. Now I know that's a, that's a huge part of your life is tracking Southeast, Southeast, yeah, division, in the Southeast division. Exactly. Uh, divisions don't matter, but um, they are favored to win it. And Miami is crucially in that same division. Yep. So part of that's the Hawks are, I think two games ahead of the heat at this moment in time. I have long been a heat skeptic. Are you worried about Miami at all? Cause they have not been uh, particularly impressive to this point. I am. Yeah, they are, you know, they're injury, they're vulnerable to injury as they have been for seemingly the last few years. Um, they have dealt with some injuries this year. You know, they, they still are picking up like these, these just like Jamal Kane is giving them fourth quarter minutes against the Raptors last night. Because of course he is. That's how things work with the heat. Yeah. in like his second career game, which like, they're still doing that and they still have kind of these diamonds <laughs> in the rough guys, but they also have a lot of old guys and the East is better. And I think last year, as as well as they played, and as much as I think they earned the the one seed in the East, and they made the conference finals. They were a game away from making the finals. I still think that it was a little not fluky, but just like they were not the best team in the East. You know, and I think that's that's fair to say. Um, and then they take a step back. They get older. The teams around them get better. Like I don't. It, it, they're just in that that middle group to me that we were talking about. That they could be the three seed. Like. Sure, they they definitely have that in them, but they could also be the seven seed, and that it's just a really, it's a really wide range there for a lot of those teams, like the Hawks, the Raptors, the Nets, these teams we've been talking about, and I think Miami's in that group. Like they haven't done enough to me to elevate themselves above that or outside of that. And you know, Jimmy Butler still looks good when he's good, but he's he's those nights are maybe a little fewer and farther between than they have been in the past in terms of him being like the offensive superstar that he was at times in the playoffs last year. Um, just like I said, the collective age Lowry looks really good. That's kind of the one thing that I, I've, or that, that I've has made me believe in them a little bit more is that Kyle Lowry looks healthy and rejuvenated. Um, but you know, Bam Adebayo just kind of is what he is. I think at this point, Jimmy Butler, I mentioned him, PJ Tucker, that loss matters. It's not, it's not completely crippling, but it matters. And, yeah. you know, just like little by little, they kind of lose a little here, a little there. And then, Cleveland gets better, Toronto gets better, Philly, all the teams around them, Boston and Milwaukee are still there, and all of a sudden they're the sixth best team instead of the first. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I have one final and crucial question for you. Uh, there are four teams that are not in the bottom tier of uh, Orlando, Charlotte, and Detroit of teams that are probably already drawing dead. Um, there are four teams that are not like projected playoff teams necessarily maybe one maybe one of them was but we'll, i i didn't have them there and i wonder how you would kind of stack these teams up in terms of like who scares you the most from a 
full season standpoint, say if you are a Hawks fan and if you have some injuries or whatever, and uh, who's the best team of this group for this season. And that in no order is Chicago, New York, Washington somehow playing pretty well and Indiana, which Indiana's Indiana's fun. And I know you have some Indiana ties in there um, being that you went to school, not that far from there. Um, I don't really believe in any of these teams, but uh, do you like any of them as a potential playoff can like sleeper like an eight seed kind of team or are they all kind of just on the outs and we'll kind of go with what we already know uh washington is interesting to me the way porzingis has played i think is encouraging he's been really good i i don't i kind of i don't like porzingis generally speaking i don't but i've always been way, like low on him he's been very good he really yeah. has so, so that's that's, encouraging. that's nice to see and i think they have they have like a lot of capable guys that they can put on the floor which is helpful um do they have the high-end star i don't think so i've always been pretty low on bradley beal relative to consensus he just, he just can't shoot anymore for whatever uh, yeah he's reason. just and it's it's been going on for a few years now yeah. and people are kind of just now picking up on it anyway um not a huge believer in him but porzingis kind of balances that out and yeah I, I like the way that a lot of their their wings like the trade they made with denver is kind of working out and i think for both teams but for Washington, they're getting stuff out of Morris and Barton. Those guys have been helpful. Um, so I kind of like Washington. I don't believe in the Knicks. I don't really believe in the Bulls, especially if Lonzo's not going to come back. Yeah. Maybe ever. Who knows? Um, Indiana, I want to believe in. They're the, fun. Offense, the offense is good. It's, I think the yeah. offense actually could be could actually be legitimately pretty good. They can't stop anybody, man. Like, and imagine what happens if they trade Miles Turner. I was I was gonna say, yeah. Like and they already Matherin, they already can't stop anybody now. <laughs> so yeah, and, and Ben Matherin's gonna hit the rookie wall, you would think, at some point, and like is not gonna sustain quite this level of play. Maybe even Tyrese yeah. Halliburton doesn't sustain this level. So it's it they very well could continue what they've been doing, but they as individual players and as a team, they have not proven enough or have enough of a track record for me to really buy the fact that it will continue. That all makes sense. I generally, as I sort of alluded to, I'm skeptical of all four of those teams. But, you know, if you're just playing the probabilities, the chances that one of them hangs around is pretty decent. And you're talking about four different individual teams. Um, Because, you know, generally speaking, and again, this is kind of in, this is in standings order right now, not a random order. But you got Boston, Milwaukee, Atlanta, Cleveland, Toronto, Philly, Miami. Those are the teams. And I guess, you know, Brooklyn is somewhere. I don't know what. You feel with Brooklyn. Those well, teams I was just are going to say they're tied with Chicago. At well, yeah, they're below well, all these other teams, and they had been worse than that until recently. They went yeah. on a nice run when, with Kyrie out, which is, I'm sure, a huge coincidence. Um, let's leave that alone for now. But I just uh, there's like a top seven that kind of everybody has in some order, and then you get into like the Brooklyn zone. Who knows? And then there's the next tier, and maybe. I, I know that Chicago and maybe New York were in a higher tier for some. I never had them there. It sounds, it sounds like you didn't either. So I still think it's probably a top seven. Brooklyn's the, is the huge wild card. And if Brooklyn just implodes, there is a spot available for one of those teams, whether it be New York yeah. or Indiana or something like that. I'd like to see Indiana get it. I think they're the most fun of those teams. But who knows who what will actually happen. That's a good way to end this podcast, Ben. Uh, who knows what actually happen is the mantra of whenever you and I get together early yeah. in the season. <laughs> That's for sure. Um, all right. I take it up way too much of your time. Please plug all of what you have going on. You're always writing and talking to our friend John on the podcast. Yeah. So please share where folks can find your work, Ben. Sure. Yeah. Mostly at this point, it's at the Read and React podcast, which you can find wherever you download and listen to podcasts. Um, 
check that out if if you if you enjoyed this discussion that we just had you'll probably enjoy that podcast for the most part writing occasionally over at the step back you know just breaking down various things throughout the nba when i can and um as far as like hashtag content that's about it for me these days so um yeah hashtag if, content. if twitter's your thing you can find me on twitter if not it's not really my thing either ben never tweets so don't even i mean i would recommend following ben in case he decides to tweet again but he doesn't <laughs> usually well none of us may ever tweet again and like that's three, also three fair weeks. it might just go so. away at some at some point i've been trying to like find another outlet i don't really have yeah. anything i have nothing else ben i don't do anything else maybe i'll do a sub stack or something i don't yeah. know what's gonna happen but i don't know if i'm hardcore enough to uh, uh stay on twitter all right then thank you for joining me as always my friend as for everybody else please stay tuned we'll have a new show after hawks raptors on saturday evening please subscribe to the podcast and we'll see you all next time